Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. about the way that you have a relationship with someone and how that's depicted and the names that you call them. Like when, when you're kids, what you're taught to be polite and you have to say to your teacher, you call them Mr. or Ms. And, and maybe when you're first introduced at work, you know, you're trying to, to be formal and be respectful and use all of those terms that are, that are kind and generous. But then you, you get to know somebody and maybe they say, you can call me by my first name. And so then you feel like, okay, you're, you're a little bit further connected. And then maybe when you really get to know them and you're at that after work party, uh, you come up with a nickname for them, right? Like there's some inside jokes going on now. And you have a deeper relationship. And think even further about the loved ones in your life. I mean, do you guys have sickeningly sweet little nicknames for your, for your loved one? Do you call them honey? Boo? Do you say sugar. I don't know. I don't think you guys are those kind of people. I don't know. Those of you sitting out here, I haven't heard that of you. It seems very Southern. Uh, I was trying to Google some different terms. I don't use those. So uh, stick with me here. But you hear those and they mean something, right? But perhaps the most fun is when you hear what little kids call their family members. Because it tends to be that you get your name for your aunts or your uncles or your grandparents based on usually the first kid in the family, and how well they can say words, right? So you think there's a person whose name changes for the rest of their lives based on the verbal skills of a tiny toddler, right? So let's look. I did an informal survey this week on Facebook at our church group. So thank you for everyone who participated. Here are some of the names I gathered. For aunts, some of you, one of you has a boo or a tia Elise. There's an ant pancake. I had to ask about that. Melissa says that her sister says the word pancake really funny, and so the kids all call her Aunt Pancake. And there's an Auntie Momo here. Apparently someone looks a little like Moana and gets called Auntie Momo. I love that. For grandparents, we've got your typical, you know, maybe you've heard of granddaddy, or there's a grandpa great for a, for a great-grandpa. But uh, Baba, I was thrilled to learn. So... Uh, apparently Annabelle was trying to call her grandma this, and that came into Baba. Well, that's what Kaylin called my dad. So we've got Baba, two Babas around. A Bapa, Shantae was telling me her niece says, Gigi, Papa, Shishi, Pop Pop, Nana, Mamer, Poppy, Jeepa. We've got a whole other screen. Guess what? We got Mama and Papa, and we've got Gracky, that's me, uh, Grand, Gigi, Old Mama. I was like, oh, you threw old in there. That's real lovely. Um, Gammy. And then, okay, so this one I had to include because Shantae was like, look at this little girl on TikTok. And she calls her grandpa Papier. It's so cute. Oh, my gosh, you have to, like, find her. And then I loved Kendra said that a friend of the family, called. they started to be called Lolly and Pop. How amazing is that? Okay? So those are so fun. But there's something, there's something, like, extra, right, when you get a name. When someone gives you a name and they call you by that name, and it just, it can warm your heart. And it can also just make you feel a little bit more secure. 
Like you've got something special there and it makes you feel secure in your relationship with them and in your, in yourself as a person. What's in a name? It's a chance to draw closer. And we're going to find that out today through our scripture in Exodus 3. Here's where we've been in our series so far. Pharaoh feared God's people Israel, also called the Hebrews. They were moving in, they moved into Egypt, then they grew and they grew and they grew, and Pharaoh felt threatened. And so his, his you know, solution was genocide, and he tried to convince the midwives, Shifra and Pua, to eliminate the baby boys as they were born. But those two women risked their lives for their community and did not. They saved all the children. And during this time, Pharaoh's own daughter, who should have followed his command, instead found a Hebrew baby in the river, and she saved him, and she adopted him into her home. And we talked about the power and the heartbreak of Moses' mom and dad, who recognized that it was either death or give him up for adoption. And that's a choice that's, that we know so many people have had to make. And during this time, too, the years of silence, though we don't know how Moses grew up, what was it like growing up in the palace? How did he reconcile his identity as living in this Egyptian royal moment and looking out and seeing people that look like him working so hard, being harmed and oppressed? And so Moses comes to recognize that that oppression is wrong. But his choice of fixing the problem involved murder. And that was, that couldn't stand. And so he fled and he landed in Midian where he met a family, got a wife, had a kid, lived for 40 years among shepherds and in the wilderness. And maybe he felt a little farther apart from those people that he grew up with for 40 years now. But God knew he was ready. He was ready to figure out what true justice should look like. And he was ready to use Moses in part of that plan. So God is going to have a conversation with Moses. And I find it interesting I didn't even realize just the depth of it. And so we're going to take it in two parts. Today, we're really going to look more from what God says. And next week, we'll look a little bit more from Moses' point of view. So let's begin in Exodus 3, verses 1 and 2. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Okay, let's define some names here because these names are specific. Words are chosen on purpose. Jethro, we met him last week as Ruel. Apparently he's called a couple different names, but Jethro is the one that people commonly call him. So maybe it was a nickname and Ruel was the one in the, you know, like on the official registry. But that's his father-in-law. And then Horeb, which it means desert wasteland. Sounds like a great vacation spot, right? But look at this modern photo. This is taken from that same mountain, looking down. So I like the perspective because down in the flat ground below is the kind of space where Moses would be, you know, hanging out with the flock in the flat part right there. And it's gorgeous. This is by Vlad Kiselov. And the mountain 
we probably know it more as Sinai, and it will become more known to us in a bit, and a bit later in Exodus, of why this mountain remains important for God's people. But the interesting part is that, again, known by a couple different names, but it says, when it says Moses heard from the Lord and fire in a bush, the word there was sana for that plant. Now, sana is not really the word that you would commonly use here, but again, because just like we were talking about last week, Moses was in the sea, was in the reeds as a baby. He's going to go through the sea of reeds as an adult. As we're putting out this story, it's for those of us who read coming behind later to see the foreshadowing and the way that God kept providing and appearing. So this will connect us to Sinai later. This plant itself is thought to perhaps be a Rubus sanctus that grows about a yard high. Uh, it has pink flowers and fruit like raspberries kind of shaped, and then you see they're turning black as they ripen. So this is the plant that is in that area. These photos were taken in modern-day Israel, Middle East area. And so we can see, again, this is, this is what the beauty here, and this is the mouthpiece of God. The name angel of the Lord is a figure of speech so that we know this is actually God's voice speaking. Let's keep reading. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why does it not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Do a search sometime, but God is described as a consuming fire in several parts of Scripture. Although here... It was not being consumed. And it, my weird thought is it's just like, I don't know, how long does it, how long does it take for you to like figure out that it's not burning up? Like, I don't know. Like you just said it was a strange sight. And I thought, I don't know that I would notice. I was just like, fire, okay, keep going. Like, I just feel like I would not be paying attention to the detail of the fact that this bush was still like alive in the middle of it. Now the taking off your sandals note there's some different debate over what this was because they were like, well, is it like when you go into a home in the Middle East even today and you would take off your sandals and shoes and any footwear because you want to track in the outside into the inside. You're being respectful of the home and the people there. Or there's also historic notes that if you were to go before royalty in Egypt, which is how Moses grew up, you take off that footwear too when you approach the king. So there's some different pieces here where like God's connecting to Moses and all the different cultures that he knows about and is connected to and grown up in. Same God saying, okay, you recognize this. Now the, the land itself, it wasn't that that beautiful spot in the photo that we saw is, is special in any way. But God's divine presence in that space made it holy for that moment. It was like a bit of heaven come to earth in this moment. It's a moment to be respectful. 
Remember all the identity that Moses has gone through, that he has probably agonized with who he was in birth and who he was being raised to be and where he's living now. And yet as soon as God approaches him, the Lord says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are your ancestors. Remember the people that you haven't seen in a while. Those are your people, and I've got a job for you. The Lord said in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Let's look again. I have seen the misery. I have heard them crying out. I am concerned. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. This will be a sign to you that this, it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses is being asked to go back to the place he ran from. You can see why he would be intimidated. He left there having killed a person having been threatened by Pharaoh that he would be killed himself. He left his identity there and went to try to make something new. But God called him back. You can see why he hesitates. And next week, we're going to keep going into chapter 4 and seeing some more questions that Moses has as he's grappling with trying to embody this calling to bring about God's justice, to bring about deliverance. But today... Let's see what God reveals in this moment. Verse 13 said, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they'll ask me, What is his name? What should I say to him? We said that often our relationships are displayed through names, right? And you often move from formal to informal to intimate, right? But What happens when you go the other way? What happens when you knew a name and you had a, like, dear name for somebody and you stop? Mm, Maybe you don't call them by that anymore. The wise words of Destiny's Child once said, Say my name. Say my name. You're acting kind of shady. Ain't calling me baby. Why the sudden change? But that is so true, right? God's people knew a name. If you read through the book of Genesis, and you're going to see in our translation the word Lord. Have you ever seen it in the Bible where it's like all caps or like big L and then small caps, O-R-D? That's a specific name. And that's what God is going to reintroduce to Moses in just a moment. But this name was spoken by Abraham, by Isaac, by Jacob. They knew God's name. They had a dear relationship with him. Yet something has changed. Because guess what? 
through Exodus 1, 2, and up to this moment in chapter 3, we have seen the word God. And in the original language, that was Elohim. And you know what that means? It means deity. It's like a label for like a thing that's in the sky. Not an earth being, but a sky being. That's what they were calling God. They were like, it's like the way, like human, dog, tree, God. It was a label. There was distance there. Can you feel that there's a space in their relationship now? They're not calling God by a proper name. It's now a label. And so we have been given this scene set before us that the word Lord, with that all caps, has not been anywhere in those opening chapters. Something's changed. So Moses' request is valid. What's your name? The people have forgotten. How should we relate to you now? And beyond that, not just that is a name back in this time, and, and it might be for us today too, but especially in this culture, a name was also your reputation. When you hear a name, what does that say about you in the community? Do you have value in social circles? Do people think good of your name or ill of your name? Your name was your commodity. And so Moses is also asking, what's your reputation? Can we trust you as a deity? Who are you? Here is this deity's response. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This name that God speaks to us, this all caps Lord, this I am that's all caps too. Okay, what is it all about? Let's look into the name. Now, I want to note here a disclaimer. Because the Jewish people today, they don't want to, they, they want to honor this name so much that they won't write it or speak it. And so this is no, this is no disrespect to that practice. That, that's beautiful. And I know that we, especially the non-denominational we, we're kind of more casual here. But I don't speak this name casually. Because I've been studying and preparing for our journey into Exodus And there's something about that name that I have reconnected with and that that God says, it's my name, and you can speak it from generation to generation. I want you to draw close. I am inviting you not just to be a label, an item. I want you to tell you who I really am. That he is both to be odd and as intimidating as fire, but he's also warm. To draw close. So I want us to speak the name. So what's translated here, first, what God, this God says is, eh, yeah, I am who I am. And that word is, comes from the root haya. And yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, this is how you're going to remember it. Haya, which means to be. And we conjugate to be in our, in our language all the time. I am, you are, we are, to be, right? 
And so then he said, when he says, say to the Israelites, I am, the shortened version, that is Yahuwah, Y-H-W-H. There's debate about those vowels. The vowels were not written down. But earliest manuscripts where there was some attempt at trying to show the pronunciation, that's why they've, they've included the A and the, and the E, like a Yahuwah. That that's probably the closest to what was said. You know what I've heard? And you know what I can't, I can't let go of? That I've heard that Yahweh. It's like breathing in and out. Yahweh. The God who is, just is, always has been, always will be. This word can be future tense or present tense, an ongoing tense. And this God says, I am creator, sustainer, the breath that gives us life, Yahweh. Timothy Mackey from the Bible Project said this, we're talking about a being whose claim is that they are the very fount of being, that they are being. This is a being who is being, and on whose being, every other being is contingent and dependent. Speaking the name Yahweh is an honor, a belief, and a trust in the one who is, that we can have life, that we will live and move and have our being with him. God introduced himself to Moses here by that name and saying, this is what you can call me. Ready to draw people, right? And so he offers us that opportunity today. The rest of chapter 3, God goes on and he says some things he'll say again next week, so we'll talk a little bit more later. But he he's basically tells Moses, by the way, Pharaoh's not going to like this. You're going to go talk to him. He's going to say, no, I'm going to have to act. Like, warning, this job's going to be hard. But God continues to reiterate that I am the one that will be there. I am the one that will do the things. I need you, but you're going to be my representative. So every week, we are going to look at in Exodus and say, what do we know? What is revealed about our creator through this passage? Because Yahweh is communicating to us, to the people back then, to anyone who sees this book. And here I see today that Yahweh reveals greatness and also closeness and intention. He's intentionally saying, I'm ready to reconnect. You've been crying out. I'm the one you're crying to. Call my name when you cry out. And also, last week, we said that Jesus when he was on earth and he taught a prayer, it began, our Father, who's in heaven. Jesus gave a different name and said, you can speak even closer to this deity. You can now say, Father, in a parental protective relationship. So as we noted, that a name equals a reputation. So then, what does this say about Yahweh's renown, 
What's he want to be known for? Well, earlier he said, I have seen, I have heard, and I'm going to deliver. Yahweh, the one who is, sees when those, when people are hurting. He sees when people are being taken advantage of. He hears the cry of the oppressed. And his desire is to deliver from suffering. Yahweh, the one who is, sees and knows and acts. We witness these actions in Exodus, but we also witness the same actions through Jesus, a delivering. Because Yahweh didn't just plan to say, I'm going to deliver my people from physical oppression. He also cares about the root of that oppression, the sin. The sin that can take root in any of our lives. Yeah, it's easier to say, like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not Pharaoh. But God knew we all needed, we all need to recognize what's within, the potential, the oppression that can come internally because we allow things to take root. And Yahweh had a plan. And so Jesus came. How does Jesus relate to the Exodus story? Jesus also claimed to be I am. Same name. Jesus, oh, the Jewish translators, when they rendered the name Yahweh into Greek for the Greek versions of scripture, the Yahweh became ego eimi. And I forgot to make a slide for that. That was the I am to exist, present tense, ego eimi. Jesus said ego eimi about himself when we see the New Testament written out in Greek. One time. He says it several times. But there is a story you might have heard when the disciples were in a boat. Jesus didn't join them yet. There was a storm. They were very scared. And Jesus walks on water to them. And they think it's a ghost. And they're worried about what they see. And he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And that might sound like, okay, that's that's, that's like a chill statement. But it is I was ego eimi. I am. Don't be afraid. I am. And what Matthew, Mark, and John, who all recorded that same story, what they wanted people to read was, I know this name. Jesus is declaring, I am. I am Yahweh. Yahweh perhaps had been feared by the people of Israel. Maybe that's why they drew back. And and Moses had to have a personal encounter to help reconnect people. And when Jesus was on earth, he could reach out and reassure and reintroduce people to Yahweh. Same God who spoke at a burning bush. It's the same God who made wine at a wedding. Same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who said, come here, little kids. Same God who's getting ready to part the Red Sea, wept, and raised Lazarus to life again. The same God who called my people Israel also sat by a well and talked to a woman who was a Samaritan and told her he was the Messiah. It's the same God And it's still so hard 
even sometimes I still find myself subconsciously thinking Old Testament God, New Testament Jesus. And it's, it's the same. I so easily connect to Jesus. I so easily want to hang out with Jesus. And I read Exodus. He's there too. That same heart. That same care. That same willingness to sacrifice. So what does this mean for us? So far we've looked at Exodus and we've, we've found some things. In Exodus 1, we found that we can fight our fear with fear, like Shifra and Pua did. They fought with the fear of God, an awe and a trust. But how do you build that trust? You get to know the God. And in Exodus 2, we learn that, well, sometimes we feel like outsiders. But we have a provider that we can, are called to get to know. And so this means we have to take some action too. So my challenge for us is today is to, to get reintroduced to Yahweh. God says you can call me Yahweh, Jesus. Just reorient yourself with what that reputation means. Maybe just check in on how do you feel when you hear those names and who is this God? Let's try to see who God truly reveals himself to be. We can get reintroduced to a liberator. Freedom is what is offered. And what's going to happen as a result is that we're going to hear our name called and invited to become free. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus calls us by name, knows our name. Yahweh wants to lead us out of the oppression of sin and harm and into freedom. There's a poem by Drew Jackson called Nicknames, based on Luke 6, when Jesus called his disciples by name. It's from the book, God Speaks Through Wombs. Around the way, we don't use government names. Pookie, Peanut, Peaches, Big Head, Little Man, Skip, Ski, Ace, Junie, Boog, Rock. That's what they call me. It must be my straight talk, sharp tone, rough edges. Each moniker is a mark of endearment, a secret passcode. You only call me this if you know me. We earn these from personality, physical features, notorious acts like badges. I'm honored by this neighborhood nomenclature. In our crew, we had that one dude. Everyone has that one dude who was the bestower of all nicknames. If you got one from him, you knew you were in gatekeeper. There is no power like naming, and I bear mine with pride. We've probably all heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so we're called love. And that's our name from Yahweh. So I pray that we would find our identity and our purpose 
and knowing Yahweh's name and knowing what he wants to do in our lives. So whether you speak Yahweh, Father, Lord God, or Jesus, Savior, Shepherd, whatever name you choose to speak, the powerful being who is being is ready to deliver. Will you pray with me? Yahweh, thank you for giving us a name to call you, for wanting us to know all the characteristics of your glory, of your power, and of your love for us. Thank you for demonstrating power and seeing people and knowing people in Exodus. And thank you for reintroducing us to your tenderness and your up-close and personalness through Jesus. We want to reintroduce ourselves to you and get to know who you are. Show up this week, Lord. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.